0: The world we live in is a curious one, full of bizarre and strange places that are both fascinating and frightening. Nothing represents this better than arguably one of our greatest inventions, the internet. While most use it for work or recreation, filing forms and emails, or browsing videos of amusing cats and people falling over, it too has dark and grim corners. Today, we'll explore three such areas, ranging from the eerie, to the disturbing, and then the terrifying. We take a look today at three disturbing corners of the internet. Welcome once more, dearest and blessed listeners, to Channel FM's broadcast. For those that might be new, here from this little dilapidated and ruined radio station, we aim to bring you everything and anything that raises the hairs on the back of your neck real mysteries, true crime, ghost and folk tales, and more. Usually on this broadcast, we talk about topics that have already passed. Unsolved murders that occurred years ago, mysterious vanishings of history's lost people, and monsters of the deepest woods and forests. But today, we'll be discussing a series of frightening areas that you, dear listener, can access from the comfort of your own home. The internet is a strange and peculiar place, though I won't speak of the dark web today. It's said that with enough protection and know-how, you can buy goods and services of everything and anything on the dark web, however illegal or inhumane. Instead, today I'll be speaking of the regular old commercial internet that you likely use almost every day. We'll cross three such corners in this broadcast, though they're all unnerving for different reasons from the ghosts of tortured prisoners past to blood-stained tokens of murders and violence, and then a horrifying tale of claustrophobia and dark evils. I will of course include the links in the description for any of you who wish to visit them later. One such page that I've discovered, and my personal favourite for this episode, is a truly creepy and eerie website named HashimaIsland.co.uk. Some of you may recognize the name already, as Hashima Island is an abandoned and unoccupied island just short of 10 miles away from the coast of Nagasaki. It's quickly growing a reputation as a ghost island, an abandoned island where the only residents are the spirits of those who perished there. The introduction to the website sums it up far better than I could. It reads as such... On the 27th of June, 2013, Google released brand new street views of a forgotten world of the coast of Japan in Nagasaki Prefecture. Take a haunted trip through history and discover the secrets and myths hidden among Hashima Island's mysterious, desolate landscape. The efforts to build upon Hashima Island were mostly started in 1810, when it was discovered that there were large amounts of coal veins beneath the island, and it quickly became famous for its undersea mines. Four great main mine shafts were dug, reaching up to a kilometer deep, and one was so large that it actually connects to a neighboring island. Rapid industrialisation led to nine-storey apartment buildings being built on the island for the workers, and seawalls and land reclamation efforts that more than tripled the workable size of the island. But with that kind of development, both in construction and in mining, you need a large and dedicated workforce. In the 1930s, and until the end of the Second World War, Hashima Island solved this issue with forced labour. Korean conscripts and Chinese prisoners of war were sent to work on the island in brutal, violent conditions. While it's not a concrete number, anywhere between 130 and 1,300 of these conscripts and prisoners died while working, from accidents in the mines, exhaustion and malnutrition, sickness, and more. The island was abandoned in the 60s when the coal ran out and the mines were shut down, leaving the structures of the island intact. It's become a popular destination for urbexers and tourists, to explore the abandoned island. But thanks to HashimaIsland.co.uk and the efforts of Google, you too can wander the grounds of Hashima Island from the comfort of your own home. Just as you would use Google Street View, using high-definition cameras to walk through the streets of civilization, you can walk through the long-deserted Hashima Island. Through the Nikyu flats where the denizens lived their lives, the primary school where children were taught, and the entrance to the coal mine itself where so many unfortunate souls met their death. Working in claustrophobic conditions, with back-breaking manual labor forced upon you as a prisoner in a foreign land, one can only imagine what ghosts linger on the island. The website gives you the opportunity to look through the island from the comfort of your own home, But, comfortable, it is not. The island is in a terrible state, as nature reclaims it. You can virtually walk through the pathways of the island, explore the abandoned buildings, climb over the detritus and grime, and imagine what the island was like during its heyday. What it was like while imprisoned souls toiled and died deep in the dark of the undersea mines. It's no wonder that Hashima Island is rapidly becoming what experts believe to be one of the most haunted islands on earth. Set in grainy black and white like a horrifying found footage film and an unnerving and uneasy soundtrack that sends chills down one's spine. It's a terrifyingly delightful experience that I would encourage you all to embark on if you have sufficient time. HashimaIsland.co.uk. Give it a Google. For our second Bizarre Corner of the Internet, we'll ask you the question. Do you collect anything? Memorabilia, perhaps? Do you collect stamps, CDs or records, autographs, or perhaps movie props? People collect anything and everything, but have you, perhaps, ever thought about collecting memorabilia related to murderers and serial killers? It's an unfortunate fact of our world that murder is a common occurrence. You need only turn on the news in the morning to see a torrent of upsetting news focused on such. It's also common to have a fascination with the macabre. There are countless number of documentaries and historical programs designed to scratch that itch. While it may be abhorrent to most, when you combine these two facets of humanity, along with a natural disposition to collect things, it's easy to understand why some might collect such grim memorabilia. The website MurderAuction.com aims to provide just that. With the tagline of Every Man Has to Have a Hobby, attributed to nobody less than Ed Gein himself, MurderAuction.com sells various memorabilia related to murderers and serial killers. At my first glance, I saw letters and poems written by convicted killers, the original inked fingerprints before such was made digital, signed photographs, and handmade trinkets produced while in prison. There's also another similar website named cultcollectibles.org. Simply by visiting the homepage, you're immediately shown pictures for sale of Jeffrey Dahmer, the Milwaukee Cannibal, and the categories beneath it. The list of their categories that contain goods for sale are, at the time of this episode, lists such items as Dahmer Collections, Cults, Killers and Criminals, Counterculture, and School Shooters. Something about all this makes my skin crawl, dear listener. One must not glorify or profit of the deeds of these horrifying, terrible and inhumane acts, lest we encourage others to act in their stead. One can only imagine the terrible actions committed by the same hands that wrote, signed or made whatever is being sold on these websites. Regardless, if you've ever fancied an original painting by John Wayne Gacy, a stringed spider or scorpion made by Charles Manson, or Arthur Shawcross's Cross's personal bible, you can find such in these more dismal corners of the internet. I'll leave you to wrestle over the moral implications of buying such. The third website I wish to speak to you of today is a personal blog known as Ted's Caving Page. This particular little journal is the work of a man named Ted, as he documents an undiscovered and unexplored cave in Virginia, USA. It's a day-to-day blog of he and his friends' activities, complete with pictures that they take as they traverse this new frontier. What starts off as a rather unassuming and routine story about a caver's hobby in excavating an entrance to a new system quickly descends into something more nefarious as they make more and more progress day by day. Strange noises begin to come from within the cave, scraping and shifting noises that reverberate through the claustrophobic, choking darkness. They discover crude drawings within the cave, which conjure memories of the Blair Witch Project and the Tuana figures that plagued their journey. Ted and his crew had to drill an opening to enter the cave, so where did these drawings come from? As they push deeper into the cave, something reacts to their presence. Rocks stir and move when they aren't looking, blocking their safe routes to return to the surface. They leave the cave with mysterious scratches cut deep into their flesh. Shadows shift in the dark, inky blobs that are shapeless and incomprehensible. Ted begins to feel as if he and his companions are being followed while in the cave, stalked by an unseen and terrifying presence that wishes them only harm. During the climactic moment, Ted feels that he is being followed by the cave's evil occupier once more, and as fear eats at him, they agree to leave. From behind, he feels his rope being pulled by someone or something. In the previous room, a rock has shifted, revealing a great and deep hole in the cave's floor. After they finally make their escape, they drive home in silence, not saying a word to one another for the entire journey. The entity seemingly follows Ted home. He hears footsteps in his house that have no cause, shuffling noises and creaky doors while home alone. Movement in the corners of his eyes raise his paranoia, and nightmares plague his sleep. Tormented in waking and in sleep, unable to eat or rest, Ted feels compelled to go deeper, to find the source of what is plaguing him and his friends. Tomorrow, he will enter the cave once more, and find his way down to that new and deep hole to see what awaits him at the end of it. And then, it suddenly ends right there. There's been no update in a very long time, and it's likely that there won't be. For as far as we know, Ted's story ended that day in that cave, when he confronted whatever strange thing was lurking in the darkness. The whole blog can be read in some 20 to 30 minutes, so I definitely encourage you to read such. I've left out some of the details for those of you who would rather not have the full tale told here and now. You can all come to your own conclusion as to whether or not the story is genuine, but I do admit, the photographs included that they supposedly took while exploring do help to tell the story. Since the internet is a shapeless, ever-changing, and infinite beast, this is a topic that we might revisit later down the line with more odd and eerie corners, if it's something you enjoyed listening to. It's quickly become THE platform for man-made horrors beyond our comprehension, and there's far more out there than just these three areas. If you enjoyed this episode, and would like another just like it, let me know. I'll include the links we've spoken about in the description, just in case you want to take a look for yourself. Before we move on to this week's Cryptid of the Week, we'll give our special shoutouts for this episode to the students stressing and cramming studies for exams, to the experienced and wizened listener enjoying their retirement, and to everyone named Anna, you all have our special shout-out for this episode. We climb out of the dark and terrifying cave and move swiftly onto this week's Cryptid of the Week. We'll speak of one of the most popular cryptids on our planet, with reports cropping up several times a year. The creature's kill count is likely in the thousands, and it's a name that many know the world over. Today, we'll be speaking of the blood drinking, the legendary, the terrifying Chupacabra. You awake in the dead of night suddenly, startled by the sounds of animalistic screaming in the fields beside your farmstead home. You've heard them shout about potential predators before, but this is. this is completely different. It's not an alerting call, it's one of sheer terror and panic, and the sound of it sets your teeth on edge and strikes a chill down your spine. You throw the blanket back and rapidly pull on some clothes. You almost fall down the stairs in your haste to get outside, taking the shotgun with you to deal with any animals that might be eating your livestock. You yank the door open with a heavy clatter and stride out into the pen, but what meets you is a strange and chilling sight. The goats are of two sorts, either running for their lives, wide-eyed and panicked, kicking dirt and dust as they sprint, or they stand there still as statues, completely unmoving. They don't even blink. Here and there, the corpse of a goat lays still on the ground, their bodies limp and lifeless. Strangely, there's very little sign of any damage done. No bites or slashes, no broken bones or gunshots, only a circular red mark on their neck. There's no blood at all, as if every drop had been drained from those that were slain. As you hop the fence and head into the dark, stepping past the dead goats, something comes into your vision, something you've never seen before. It's a hunched and reptilian figure, crouched over the kicking, flailing body of a goat. It seems a cross between a hairless dog monster and a Komodo dragon. Its sharp maw is locked around the throat of the goat, talons hold it down to stop it moving, and glowing red eyes swivel to watch you as you approach. It wheezes as it drinks, and you can see its chest heaving with each draw from the goat, as if it were trying to suck the very life from it. Whatever you expected, it wasn't that. You freeze for a moment, and sensing danger, the beast releases your goat that flops to the ground. Its tongue detaches from the animal, a pointed and slick muscle of crimson that had been lapping blood from the poor creature. As you raise the gun to shoot it, it turns and bolts into the darkness, sprinting through the parting crowd of terrified goats and beyond the tree line, disappearing entirely. It leaves you wide awake and cold, shaking from surprise and fear, and wondering just what exactly that monster was. The creature you've just seen is the mythical Chupacabra, a name which translates roughly as Goatsucker, and few cryptids are as storied and as well-reported as this one. It's a reptilian creature that's sized anywhere between dog-like and a small bear by those who spot it. It looks almost amphibian, similar to the creature from the Black Lagoon if he were hunchbacked and moved about in a similar fashion to Gollum from Lord of the Rings. Stories of the creature hit the mainstream media in 1975 when a series of livestock killings in Mocha, Puerto Rico were attributed to a vampiric satanic cult. The animals were drained of blood from a small and circular incision at the neck and left where they'd fallen. Curiously, there was no bloodshed on the ground or surrounding area. More livestock were killed across the country, however, putting holes in the cult theory, and a few months later, it was actually spotted. A witness reported seeing the creature at a farmstead in Canavanas, where over 150 animals had been slain in a similar fashion. From then on, tales of the creature exploded with reported sightings from all over the country. Ever since, it's been a well-referenced creature, with sightings continuing all over the Americas to this day. You need only google the creature's name to find dozens of videos of slain animals littering the floor of farms. Chickens, sheep, goats, and even donkeys and horses have been recorded as victims of the creature. There was a resurgence of chupacabra sightings as recently as 2018 and 19, with many domestic animals and poultry killed in suspicious manners. They were publicly attributed to the chupacabra, but forensic experts believe that they were likely the victim of street dogs. But what do you think, dear listener? Is this indeed the work of a vampiric beast, that of a satanic cult, or is there something else unknown that drains the blood of the unfortunate? Perhaps it's just the work of regular people, fabricating events and stories for internet fame and attention, or perhaps it's an unexplained event that we can't identify. Whatever you believe, I'd be interested to hear it. If there's anything you'd like me to read on the air, any mystery you want investigated, any particular cryptid spoken of, then reach out to me at channelfm at gmail.com. You can also follow the broadcast's Twitter account, which is also at channelfm. If you have any feedback, I'd also be interested to hear it. My schedule may get a little hectic in the coming weeks as I'm thinking of moving. I'll keep you all appraised on whether or not I miss a week or two because of it with that we've come to the end of the broadcast and the part of such where i bid you all goodbye with a frightening fact have you ever tried to move or carry a mattress it's very possible that you've done so while making your bed or when moving house apartments or rooms but have you ever realized that they're actually far more heavier than the longer you use them the reason for this is that you are essentially sleeping on a massive sponge Over the days, months, and years of being in use, your mattress absorbs the oils, sweat, moisture, and the dead skin cells from your body, often gaining as much as 10% of its weight a year. Some experts state that mattresses will actually double their weight after eight years of use. This becomes easier to understand once you realise that the average person sheds about nine pounds of skin cells a year, which to me seems an almost excessive amount of skin. Hey, that's, that's two facts for one broadcast. Just thinking about all the sweat, oils, and skin you'd have to shed to make that big a difference, it's… Ugh. It's disgusting, but fascinating. Good morning, good evening, and good night, dearest listener. This is Channel FM, Signing off. The songs used in this episode are titled in order, Terminal, Past the Edge, Ossuary 6, Air, SCP-X2-X, and Echoes of Time V2. They are made by Kevin McLeod and are licensed under Creative Commons by attribution 3.0. His website is ecomputech.com, and he makes brilliant music. Give him a click, and a listen.